0: Hello and welcome
1: to the Saturday Night South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Tom Dura. Marler, you,
2: my friend, got a little apology to offer up. I do. I, this is first off, hello, happy Thursday. I don't even know who day it is. Shabbat. Um, we're gonna get into a lot of stuff that was breaking news yesterday on on Wednesday. Uh, you guys listen to this on Friday, and. Wanted to start the pot off. We have a really good episode. We're gonna go over the top twenty-five defensive players, all that good stuff. We had an awesome interview with Mike Griffith. But first and foremost, I owe Kirby Smart an apology. I messed up. You beefed up. I, I got up. caught up in the moment. I, I'm Kirby Smart. Let me, if you're listening, which I know you're not, but if you're listening, I'll just say this to all Georgia fans everywhere. I was at at the moment I heard JT Daniels was going to Georgia. My first reaction was how do you trust kirby smart if you're an elite quarterback prospect mm. now to defend myself a little bit that was partially because of the whole jake Fromm, jake uh, jake Fromm and um justin field situation and how that all played out regardless i did not see the big picture you know who did see the big picture connor kirby smart his name's not kirby dumb for a reason that's kirby the first Smart's, time that's ever been made that reference I've said right that there several times um, but I I was blatantly in the wrong, rushed to judgment on this, and and kind of thought it was just a a grab for five stars and and elite recruits and whatever, um, and kind of recruiting over Jamie Newman, who you just brought into the program. And I was short-sighted. I was wrong. Um, I was wrong. I was wrong. I can only say it so many times. So I I, I want to apologize to 90% of Georgia Dog Nation.
1: Okay, so I'm going to defend you just one tiny bit because I Uh think at the same time, like when all of this went down, I said, I still think Jamie Newman's going to be the starter. I think this experiment is going to be so fun to watch this year. Obviously, I did not foresee him opting out in September, and I think a lot of people were caught off guard by the timing. I did say at the time, like, oh, this kind of makes sense from a depth standpoint, and it makes Mm -hmm. sense especially when you consider – what you could potentially be dealing with with quarantine situations, and right. when you're having to play now, obviously they didn't know this then, but now when you're having to play ten SEC games as opposed to eight, and you wonder about whether quarterback's going to be able to get through from start to finish, get all that, get all that. Yeah, did not foresee this, but I do think it's at least a little bit interesting, and this is going to sound anti-Georgia, and I don't mean for it to be, but it, it's it's out there. Like this is this is a real thing. So in the past. Oh, you'd have to go back 20, like 28 months, maybe 29 months, something like that. you go back to when Jacob Eason transferred, mm-hmm. when he transferred to Washington. So if you include Eason, if you include Justin Fields, if you include Jake Fromm, if you include Jamie Newman, the amount of quarterbacks who have left Georgia with remaining eligibility is at least significant. That, that, yeah. that to me is just like, okay. All of these seem all the the Easton thing didn't come as much of a surprise. Fields after the way things ended in the SEC championship. Look, I get it. That's you know what he felt like he was maybe a little bit embarrassed and he's looking for a better opportunity. Didn't realize that Jake Fromm was going to be as entrenched as the starter. Get that, but these things have kind of been a little bit random and a little bit surprising to a certain extent. And this Newman thing. The timing of it is the very interesting thing in how this is all played out. And there are some bigger picture things that it makes me wonder about. Okay.
2: Can I finish my apology now? Fire away. Sorry, my bad. So, here's the thing. And and I I agree with you on, like, (laughs) there's still something to be said for... Kirby Sparks is going to go out and get the best player no matter what. Like He, he has a, a roster loaded with talent, but it doesn't mean he's going to stop recruiting more and more talent. And, and the create competition, all that kind of stuff. What I didn't even think about and foresee going into this and what is obviously, in my opinion, played out, the whole situation with COVID and how it could affect Jamie Newman's draft stock and and then bringing in someone else, I didn't think that he would necessarily leave. Because JT Daniels is coming off a, a, a pretty big injury, right? Torn seal. But at the same time, with so much uncertainty into this particular season like this specific season Kirby Smart was 100% in the right to go out bolt like just continue to like bolster his roster and and make more and more I don't know recruiting moves and and be one of the best recruiters if not the best recruiter in the country and he did that and I was I was wrong and that's all I'll say.
1: I'll I'll say this. We've we've referenced before the difference between Kirby and Mark Rick Yeah, I think this situation is a good example of that. I really do. Because I don't think Mark Rick would have been as aggressive as Kirby was in the transfer market. Now, of course, Georgia fans are very thankful to have a JT Daniels. Who knows if JT Daniels was what led to this decision that was made Mm -hmm. by Jamie Newman. Before we get into a lot of other things with Jamie Newman and the opt-out, and like we said, we talked to Mike Griffith of the AJC, who had a lot of great insight as to what has gone down at Georgia, what we should be expecting this year. Marler. I had some Texas Pete a little bit ago. It was mm-hmm. delicious. Little little deli chicken had a little Ooh. bit of avocado, A little spinach. Had some Good like meat. leftover artisan buns. Made myself a nice little sandwich. Oh yeah. know What an artisan bun is. It's like you know, just like the Sarah Lee store bought type stuff. Oh. But nothing, nothing too fancy. Artisan sounds fancy, but it's re- it's really it does. Cool. It's got a lot um, of conservative stuff.
2: I don't use buns when I use Texas Pete. You know what I use? Hands, effort, a little bit of elbow grease. Top off with a little bit of Texas Pete. Sometimes a little Texas Pete dust. There you go. As well. Uh, College football starts, well, it started yesterday, if you're listening to this on Friday. But this weekend, we have the first full weekend of FBS football games, which means we're back to tailgating. Home gating, tailgating, whatever you're doing. Solo gating, if you're alone by yourself in a basement. No one's going to judge you. Pull out the Texas Pete, get a six-pack of it, put it on ice or don't. It's good either way, okay? Uh, and, And just fill up. That into, well, I was going to say fill up the bag with deli meat like you were saying, but that's mm-hmm. not – normal people don't do that. If you want to, try it out this weekend. Send us a picture. That's the old Chris Marler special from mm-hmm. high school. Regardless, get yourself some Texas Pete. Game day is not game day without it.
1: I like that we have this, this month stretch where we can really say it's the real start of college football weekend. Like, oh, mm-hmm. last weekend was, you know, the first – so FCS slash FBS teams playing, and then this, you know, tonight before we're recording this is the first FBS games, and then it's going to be the first Power Five games, and then it's going to be the first SEC games. So we essentially have like right. a month of firsts to be able to do. I like that. It, it feels it feels somewhat like we we're, we've been owed this, and like we can just get like a month long yeah. big opening for for the college football season. I agree with that. The big news out of Athens. Jamie Newman opting out had a, a lot of different things that people – a lot of different conclusions that, that were jumped to that, mm. I, as I always caution, take a step back and think about, all right, what, is, what does this actually mean in the grand scheme of things? The grand scheme of things in the SEC East, I'm not convinced that it means something that drastic. Right. Of course, this is still going to be dictated in large part by what happens in Jacksonville, potentially mm. what happens against, against Alabama, what Florida does against LSU, all these different things. What was your favorite moment of the Jamie Newman era? Because for me, it was that video of him thrown by the pool, where he just looked—he yeah. just looked jacked—and that actually got taken down because it was copyright infringement. Don't really need to what? get into that. <laughs> yeah, I actually—I re- I searched it again today because I wanted to watch it to prep myself for this today. Yeah. But unfortunately, it was—it was taken down. The internet, uh, you know, it always—it has everything. But that was my favorite moment of the Jamie Newman era. What, what was yours?
2: I mean, the moment Pro Football Focus came out with that ranking of him as number three, mm. and then that turned into first-round draft pick projections. My favorite moment was when he was working out shirtless, and I don't care how that sounds, and the J Watch reference that I tried to make that I thought was going to be just a huge hit. And for w- Tennessee fans, Tennessee fans, Emma mentioned yesterday um, talking trash about how bad that prediction was. So, yeah, I was i was off. I, w- I was wrong. He was not going to be the starter. Um Incredible specimen, probably one of the best quarterbacks we've seen in Georgia history. Better than Fatone Bouda.
1: (laughs) The pro football focus stuff. God. Does Jamie Newman opt out if that isn't out there already? Because for those who don't know and for those who haven't necessarily followed this as closely and for those who don't understand why Jamie Newman has been such a polarizing topic in the SEC the last few months, Pro Football Focus having Jamie Newman as the number three quarterback returning in the country behind only Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence was a lightning rod of conversation. And the two big stats that we kept pointing to in the pro Jamie Newman argument was, well, only Joe Burrow had more touchdown passes in the tight windows in 2019, and he was behind Joe Burrow in how he was graded on passes of 20-plus yards. Now, I can sit here and say that I'm still skeptical of Jamie Newman as a pro Mm prospect— I think there were things that he really could have benefited from playing football in 2019 and also say, look, I'm bummed out because it, in my opinion, I, my guess was that he was the best fit in this offense that Todd monkey wanted to run, right. which was airing it out and stretching the field in a way that we haven't seen from Georgia, maximizing those weapons with guys like George Pickens, Demetrius Robertson yeah. to be able to stretch the field in ways that it could not do under the offense that it had the last few years. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a great experiment that we're just not going to get to see happen. But, you know, I don't think that like, so Georgia fans are obviously going to be frustrated that they're not going to be able to see this. But of course, as is often the case, Georgia, well, you just turn to the five star who's backing up behind him. And I made the joke right. on Twitter and a lot of people were as well about JT Daniels. I think JT Daniels is probably trending nationally because that's the way of the world these days. And, his mugshot for those of you who haven't seen it
2: is fantastic. That's not a mugshot. That's his that's his like media guide picture. Yeah, it's his it's
1: his media guide mugshot. You can still call it okay. a mugshot. It's not a police mugshot. We'll will clarify that. <laughs> I
2: don't know if you can call it a mugshot.
1: I think you can call it you can call it a mugshot. You call it the profile pick, whatever you want to call it. But this assumption that JT Daniels is just the heir apparent, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting because Mike Griffith, as you're going to hear, has some different opinions on that. But we probably shouldn't get into this place of assuming that JT Daniels is just going to have the offense from the jump because this is someone who, as we've talked about, is coming off of an ACL tear, a very serious Mm -hmm. injury this past year, and that's the reason he doesn't have his job at USC. But the Dewan Mathis thing that you saw get a little bit more steam yesterday and especially yep. from people connected to the program, and the more, you kind of look around. You're like, well, this is a kid who, yeah, had brain surgery last year. So uh, mm-hmm. last year was a bit of a wash. Did not get the spring ball that you would like a redshirt freshman to have. But someone who Georgia essentially said, yeah, John Rice Plumlee, we're going to shirt you because we want this Dewan Mathis kid from Ohio State. Like, we think that he, this kid is is a stud. And so now there are a lot of yeah. people, and if you've kind of thought, been reading the tea leaves, I saw players like Malik Herring were tweeting about him in July mm-hmm. saying, like, this kid is, is the real deal. I saw Georgia Beat reporters who say that, I think Dewan Mathis is going to be the starter. It's just kind of a reminder of, like, whatever we think we have this thing figured out yeah we just don't especially with Georgia
2: yeah I'm gonna stop making predictions in general um, <laughs> is, I mean because that, that like I so we talked about Jamie Newman being a starter I think like like no more than a week ago and and again I I, I do think I, I'll get right back into the predictions I guess and, and say that, <laughs> that it, it, 10 it makes seconds. sense to me that like one of the reasons Newman would have left is he wasn't gonna start. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think he just left because he was worried about – and this is – I could be totally in the wrong about this. This is my assumption. But this is how the situation reads to me. I don't think he left because he was worried about COVID. I think he left because he was worried about either losing his job, not ever starting on day one, or, you know, like like not starting on day one, losing the starting job some, sometime throughout the season, and or getting hurt. I, I think it had something to do with that. And I think JT Daniels has a a, a big part in that, and and – Ever since he's been at Georgia, there's been a lot of hype around him as well because I know he only had one season and it was you know kind of up and down, all that kind of stuff at USC. But from a projection standpoint and a talent standpoint, it's seemingly better than than Newman, right? I
1: I go back and forth on this because I think this is going to be take away about the, p- the fit. Pro
2: Football Focus review. I, I, I mean, know,
1: I know, absolutely, one hundred percent. That's a hard thing to do. That's a really hard thing to do because. Even if you go back and you watch some of those clips, and like I said before about how Wake Forest fans were very quick to jump in and say, Mm -hmm. look, his receivers really helped him out on some of those downfield plays. But at the same time, it's like, what, is George Pickens not going to help him out to be able to make some of those plays? I thought that's what Georgia needed last year. There were so many times where you're like, Jake Fromm, just trust that George Pickens, even if he doesn't have separation, is going to go up up and make a play. And I thought Jamie Newman was going to be a guy to do that. But I like that you bring up the point about, the, the timing and the reasoning of this, because while we don't know anything for certain, and maybe some of this stuff is going to come out, yeah. but you start thinking about the downside. And maybe that kind of got to them. The downside of what yes. can go wrong and what can go wrong in a year when there are a lot of questions. And you're dealing with some very atypical circumstances of just playing football with all of this stuff going on during a pandemic when you've got this sort of you know testing and you've got to go through these protocols on the road. And everything is just different than what you're used to. And yep. if all of a sudden you know you have a receiver, a starting receiver go down and or you can't find the right replacement at left tackle and your blind side is just getting ripped to shreds every single week and it's like, why can't you evade the pressure? And it's like, right. well, my starting left tackle has been out with COVID for the last three weeks. There are things like this that you just kind of wonder about. If Jamie Newman got to the point where he, he processed that, he processed the quarterback battle, he processed the fact that there were going to be 10 games against SEC competition and this is someone who has yet to throw for over 300 yards against Power 5 competition. And if right. you just look at that, and if he said at the end of this, he's like, you know what? I, I'm going to be in really good shape come combine time. I have zero he's in great down. shape. Oh, dude's a specimen. Like, we can't say that enough. But he's yeah. going to be somebody who tests really well in shorts, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be somebody who you put them side by side, and it's going to stand out. And I wonder if he just said after the end of all that, you know what? I don't need this. I don't need this. Yeah. And things have changed since the moment that I transferred when I could have gone anywhere in the country. I probably could have gone to the NFL and got some sort of interest. But things are things are different now. And maybe it's different because of JT Daniels. Maybe it's different because of COVID. Who knows? But all of those things could have just been part of this, this salad of doubt that started to surround how he felt salad about this season. Salad of doubt. We're going to stick with
2: that. Um yeah, I mean, you know, and I don't want to, again, this is an assumption. This is not something that I've, I've heard or it's based off of, but you know damn well it's going to be happening throughout this season. At some point, agents are going to be flooding to campuses all across the country and getting in the ear of some of these players and, and, and saying things like, why would you play? Like, what, what is the benefit of playing? You know what I mean? Like, if, it, it, for certain players, like, what is the benefit? Of, is there really a benefit to play this season? When your numbers are going to be down
1: they're going to be down that's the thing that you got to remember too is that you're not getting those you're not getting those cupcakes to be able to boost your numbers you're not getting the this you're not you're getting more difficult competition obviously with 25 percent more games against sec competition it's just something that if you're in that position you're considering and you're not necessarily considering because you don't love playing college football i think i think for jamar chase i think that decision sucked For all I know, for Jamie Newman, that decision sucked because I think these kids love playing college football. I think they love being able to go around on campus and they have enjoyed this chapter in their lives. And I don't think they think about this in the same way that so many NFL people do of like just the quickest way to a paycheck possible. I think they enjoy so many elements of this. Yeah. But when you consider all those other things that are at play here with a year like this that's different than any other we've ever seen before, it has to be part of the conversation.
2: I I just, I'm telling you, I agree with everything you're saying, and they they really do enjoy it. I don't think every kid is trying to just rush through the process and get to the NFL. That being said, there comes a time, like, especially for, like, a college athlete, when you get tired of having to go to study hall and and take 15 hours of classes and make sure you're still showing up to all your classes and then doing film study, practice, more practice, recovery. Like, Like, maybe go on a date at some point, and it just gets to be a little bit tiring to where the like, if somebody is in your ear like, hey, by the way, you could wait 10 months and become maybe a millionaire, or I can put $500,000 in your pocket right now if you sign with my agency. I, that is a no-brainer for me.
1: And you can have deals that are signed on napkins that ultimately results in your program getting put... Uh, sorry, that was mean. That was mean. I didn't... Oh, that,
2: like, that happened 30 <laughs> effing years ago. What? what like, What? There's been so many worse worse things that have happened. Yeah. But yeah, I mean like that's uh I mean it's it's definitely gonna happen. Like I I don't know what the number was that, that Jamar Chase is, but I guarantee that the moment he said he was gonna be turning pro, like or that he was gonna forego the season, he got paid in some way by by somebody. And like and that's not a negative thing, that's great for him. But I guarantee you that's what happened.
1: It's just different. It's just different. And we can't look through the same lens of this year that we normally do because Under a normal situation, I I think Jamie Newman plays this year, and there's no sort of second thought just because that JT Daniels came in. I think maybe things, if he's playing a normal season, but that is not the case, and that is the situation. Now, we've talked about this a little bit before, and it's easy to sit here today and make predictions, or actually maybe, it's probably not. But I'm wondering where you stand on this, because... I've gone back and forth a little bit with the Georgia-Florida thing. I could go back and forth again by the time the season starts because we could know things about players who could be healthy, players Mm -hmm. who won't be. How do you look at this as to how this impacts Georgia short-term with the Alabama game and long-term with being able to win the division and do what you said going into this offseason of win a national title?
2: I mean, it puts a lot more pressure on JT Daniels to be medically cleared you know, I agree I mean? like with he's, that. Got, he's got to be healthy. Like I, I don't know. Either way, you were gonna have. I mean, like I'm sure Newman got a little bit of a head start with learning the playbook and and that kind of he stuff. He did seven on sevens
1: and stuff like that and was able to yeah. participate in the beginning of camp. But
2: yeah. So I mean, it, that's a quick turnaround. Like, I and mean you look at a guy like Joe Burrow, obviously supremely talented. Good example goes into LSU very late, and then you know the following year has a completely different season than he had his his, his first year. Um, if by all means, Jake Daniels is a very talented quarterback. I don't know if it really affects him as much as game one. I don't think it's like their offense is going to be their offense because, and I say it because where's the ceiling based off of that offense last year? Because it was atrocious to watch James Coley call plays last year. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then on top of that, when you look at this defense, like they're not going to have, like if, if they score 20 points, they will have a very good chance to win every single game because that defense is not going to be giving up a lot more points than that.
1: There's no
2: doubt in my mind about that, and I if if twenty at all, like honestly,
1: Cole Kubalek made the comparison last year, and I think it's worth remembering as people talk about Georgia this year. Remember last year, I came on the podcast beforehand, and he said Auburn's doing some different things on offense. Maybe Bo Nix is going to be the starter. Whatever the case is, this was before they had named the starting quarterback. He said, you know, I kind of get the sense that they're just going to rely on that defense to to do the heavy lifting the first three, four weeks of the season. Mm -hmm. And they're just going to trust that that defense is going to put them in spots to win. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened against Oregon when they basically held Justin Herbert to a touchdown after the first quarter, and they got stop after stop. And of course, it's the Auburn offense that gets to save the day at the very end. But I wonder if Georgia can follow that same sort of formula. As they're figuring things out... With this new offense early in the year, and yeah, they've got three games that they they should be significant favorites in to start, and then of course the big one against Bama. Wait, what?
2: But See, I, I don't know about significant. Eh, I mean, what? they should be favored. And I think they'll win all three, but I don't know about significant. That seems like. what well,
1: double digit favorite, double digit favorite. You
2: think it'll be a double digit favorite against Tennessee and Auburn.
1: Um. Mm, uh, potentially, potentially, potentially. That could be determined by by how quickly this learning curve. For the offense, really is and what it looks like. But I, I do think that they could rely on the defense a lot because yeah. if you're in a position of the Georgia offense, there, there are going to, in my opinion, there, there are going to be some tough moments. There are going to be some moments of miscommunication. could mm-hmm. be on the offensive line. And there could be some growing pains early on, no matter who starts a quarterback, if it's J.C. Daniels, or if it's Dewan Mathis. I don't know yet specifically, but... I just think that it's interesting that Georgia is now in position to where it can tinker a little bit and it can do some of those things because yeah. of how much trust we have in this defense.
2: I tell you what, man, and I said this a couple weeks ago. Uh, I don't think it was on here, but it's somewhere, and it's like I remember, and I'm com- I'm gonna compare it to just the initial years of saving because that's what exactly how Kirby's building the entire program. Okay, so like when when they first started getting all these good recruits in, and you start looking around, you're like, well, I wonder how we're gonna be this year, and then you start like. Really looking at the like, the roster and thinking that's a five star quarterback handing off to a five star running back and he is running behind a five star left tackle a five star left guard also a five star right tackle a five star receiver and then they ha- like and and then you start adding in players that are I don't know I think Darnell Washington was a five star but if he wasn't yeah. like a six eight like tight end that can run like just as well as a receiver and a freak athlete also running number zero which is awesome like they are so incredibly loaded with talent that I yeah man like I don't think we're gonna see he's gonna have the training wheels on that offense for at least I think the first game especially and maybe the first three weeks because he's not gonna have to show anything like what is Bo Nix gonna do against that defense it's a
1: good point it's a fair point it's a four new offensive linemen. no I
2: mean no offense to uh, Auburn or anything like that but like come on
1: after how much they struggled in the first three quarters of that game last year before finally being able to figure some things out yeah I, I think that's that's perfectly fair Question for you, Georgia going to beat Bama? I think they can beat them once. Yeah, I, the, I really do. In the regular season, because I've sort I of talked to, in the regular season. I think that I sort of talked myself into that happening in the regular oh season, God. and not necessarily because I think that I think Bama is a lesser team or anything like that. I think Bama is set up very, very well now to to win the West, to have all the playoff odds, to mm-hmm. going into the SEC championship, all those different things. But I just keep coming back to this belief of, in a year where there are a lot of moving pieces, we're gonna. I think we're gonna have these moments where you're like, oh, all right, well, I didn't necessarily see that one coming. I think that you're gonna see teams this, play on, down to this a certain. is like your level. hot
2: take. Like this is like your upset of the beginning of the season.
1: I'll, I'll go on record. I'll go on record and say as the
2: as like your up. This not is not like even a thing you're going out on. They're like number like three in the country. Oh, no, yeah,
1: I don't think it's like the upset, but no, yeah. I think. I think that Bama gets tripped up once in the regular season. I think it gets I tripped up it. once. I think the most likely time for that to happen is the Georgia game. So sure, as I've said before, I don't think anybody goes into the SEC championship ten and zero. So yeah, I'll go on
2: record and say that I think this Georgia's is the most casual, be Bama. Like, casual, bold prediction ever. Casual. casual. I, I tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this right now. If if they lose and you give me this half ass reason why they were gonna win this game on today's episode and you reference this okay at, on October 18th, I'm gonna punch you in the face.
1: All right, so Through, through FaceTime. I'll officially go on record. I'll officially go on record. I, oh, I said wow. that, that Bama gets tripped up once, and I think it happens to Georgia in the regular season. Okay.
2: So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it more time before I give my prediction, but I am going to promise you this. For a minimum six months, I, <laughs> if they win, I will not give you credit for it and say you were hedging the entire time. Okay. Wait. Um, There's no hedge here. There's no hedge. Connor, there was no hedge when I said Clemson was going to beat Bama and Georgia was going to beat Bama.
1: Yeah, but I don't have a rooting interest, though.
2: Okay. What I'm trying to say is, when I made predictions that Georgia was going to win games, you were like, "Well, you're just hedging," and I wasn't hedging. Oh no, I was in that for Bama,
1: gonna... for Bama stuff. Oh, my
2: God. Any... Okay, so here's the deal. I, I one, I'm going to be at that game, so I, I hope it's not that game. I, can, so, I I, I don't see how Bama beats Georgia twice in a season. And, I, and that, sorry, Bama fans, like that's it's hard to beat a team twice in general. This team, God, Mike Griffith, he put out a stat that I I hadn't heard before. That was alarming at best.
1: Let's let him tell it because it's
2: yeah, I will. It's very but interesting. I, I, that like that offense is going to struggle a lot early on. It's going to be in Tuscaloosa. I think this Bama team is going to be a lot better. People think. Here's the one thing I'll say for Bama, on top of all the talent they have. Ten of eleven on-field coaches returning, both coordinators returning.
1: But no Scott Cochran.
2: I so <laughs> I hope that I hope that it's going to be very quiet in that stadium. I'm sure. But I hope the loudest it gets is when he comes out of the tunnel and he gets booed. That's all I'm gonna say. Moving on. Yeah, that's
1: gonna be very interesting to get booed by stadium with 25% capacity or 20% yep. capacity, whatever
2: it is. Ever since I left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all
1: right. Let's go to people. let's go to someone who provides really, really good coverage of Georgia football. I'm sure many people ha- have read have read his articles without even knowing over, over the years, or maybe you have known. But Mike Griffith does a great job covering Georgia for the Atlanta Journal Constitution. He was able to break down kind of his take from all this Jamie Newman stuff, What's the thing about JT Daniels, DeWan Mathis, don't sleep on Carson Beck, all these different things. A lot of stuff about Georgia's roster that even if you're not a Georgia fan, you're just an SEC fan. Also some great insights as to Tennessee and some Tennessee history stuff as well. So yeah. let's go to our interview with Mike Griffith. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Mike Griffith, who covers Georgia for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Dog Nation. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with your work over at Dog Nation. You also covered Tennessee for a number of years as well. Mike, when the reports started coming out on Wednesday about Jamie Newman opting out, be honest. And I know you're very plugged in. Was it a bit of a surprise or was there something that happened in the last couple weeks that suggested this could be a possibility?
0: Well, I mean, I think the timing was the surprise. I mean, it, it was kind of like, to me, it was inevitable that, that Daniels would probably be the guy. Uh, and the mm. thing that really, I think, caught all of us off guard, I mean, when JT Jannels told stole, chose Georgia in May, you know, I think we're all going, what the heck? Why in the world of all the places JT Daniels could go, Michigan, Tennessee, Washington, LSU, uh, why would he pick Georgia if, if you know, we saw uh, Newman there. And of course, DeJuan Mathis and, and Carson Beck, you're saying they got a full quarterback room. What's JT Daniels doing picking Georgia? So that was, that was the first thing that made you say, wait a minute, you know, th- this quarterback deal, you know, cause Kirby had, had kind of done the coach speak thing, you know, well, we don't know what we got at quarterback and there's going to be competition. And you're going, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but Hey, he was serious now. And, and, uh, you know, J.T. Daniels is a guy that fits Todd Munkin's system. Remember, Todd Munkin was hired, uh, you know, after Georgia had pretty much decided they wanted Jimmy Newman. So it wasn't like Todd Munkin came in and studied and said, "Hey, that's my guy." Uh, you know, the timing of all this was was kind of interesting. You can remember how you know James Coley left and went to A&M, and Jake Fromm's decision to go pro. I think that surprised some people. It surprised me. Uh, you know, so there it was, and. You know, I think Jamie, had Jamie gone through spring drills, had those 15 practices and all that time and worked with the receivers, then, then maybe this competition wouldn't have been as close as it is. But the fact is he didn't. And so the competition's close. So, so now let's put ourselves in, in Jamie Newman's shoes, all right? You know, you're, you're a guy who's got one year or one fall season to get yourself as ready for the NFL as possible. You've got to go through these, you know, mental gymnastics of COVID-19 protocol. Which is really hard, you know. I don't think people give these student athletes enough credit, you know, for, for sure. you know, how they've been able to distance and the rules they follow. And two, now you got Daniels nipping at your heels, or, or maybe passing. You. I don't know. They're you know kind of one A and one B. Nobody's announcing who the quarterback is, and, and really Kirby. You go back to twenty eighteen. Kirby never really announced Jake was the starter. Him and Fields were competing every week. We never. There was no depth chart. So if you're you're new you're going, okay, now wait a minute, things have changed here. Because I didn't get to go through spring and learn this new offense. I've got this COVID-19 stuff to deal with. They've brought in this hot shot Southern Cal quarterback who seems like he's a better fit inherently. There's a 10-game SEC season, not an 8-game SEC season. That's pretty physical. you know. And on top of that, I might lose my starting job. Or I can just go and work out in Miami and you know, go to the Senior Bowl for a couple of weeks and get ready for the draft. So it's a business decision as much as it is anything, guys.
1: You know, you bring up the point about Newman electing to just be like, hey, I'm just going to work out in the next few months. And I was kind of thinking about it. It's like, my gosh, he's going to be one of those guys that looks really, really good in shorts in a few months at these workouts because he's got the big arm. Like, the dude is yoked. And anybody who hasn't seen this kid move around yet, I think they're going to look at him in the combine at the senior bowl and be like, wow, that looks like an NFL quarterback. But still, there are a wide range of opinions on his draft stock, and it could be a repeat almost a little bit, maybe not to this degree, but like a Josh Allen, Jordan Love deal where maybe all it takes is one team to sort of fall in love with him for, for this thing to really get going and for this thing to snowball. What's your early sense on kind of where he ends up coming off the board?
0: Well, you, you just nailed it. All it takes is one team. You know, listen, I, I, I love Tim Tebow as a college football player. A lot of people didn't think he was a, a great pro prospect, but but there he was in the first round of the Broncos, right? And and I'm not saying Jamie Newman is Tim Tebow, although they're both physical, big, fast, with with you know with, with arms and questionable intermediate throw skills. But but Jamie's got time to work on all that now, right? I mean, Jamie's got time to work on that intermediate pass game. He's got time to get coached up and and not have to do it again. I can't stress this enough. I mean. You know, the COVID-19 environment, listen, the juice has got to be worth the squeeze, guys. I mean, if you want to be a college football player, the juice has got to be, you know, Jamar Chase is like, I'm out of here. I don't need this, right? I got a ring. Uh, You know, that ain't Joe Burrow coming out of the tunnel. You know, he checked out. What are we up to, 115 players or something like that that, that that are out now, you know, that have opted out? And if you're new, again, you know, you kind of got to evaluate it. You know, what is your stock going to do? What's the pros and cons if you're Jamie Newman to stand? What's the risk reward? Best case scenario, you play 10 games in the SEC. Pretty good chance you don't make it through the year if you look at the numbers. I think there was only four out of 14 teams last year in the SEC that started the same guy every week. And don't forget, Jamie didn't get through the ACC season. You know, Jamie, uh, Jamie busted up his shoulder and missed the Florida State game last year. So that's a, that's a tough road, to, that, and that's your best case scenario, right? worst case you lose your job now what happens to your nfl draft stock so you know i think this is a business decision i think the fact that jt daniels has come in and and is who we thought he was and who todd munkin thought he was and i think it was inevitable jt was going to win the job and i think jamie newman probably figured that out
1: so i think i already know your answer to this but when the the news first hit the initial thought is, well, this is JT Daniels' time to shine. This is why Kirby Smart brought him in, and may- maybe it is. But Daniels is obviously still working his way back from the torn ACL that he suffered last year. Hasn't been cleared for full contact yet. And I know that Juan Mathis has been getting some rave reviews in camp. Who do you think ends up being Georgia's week one starter?
0: Well, I mean, that's, you know, I, I think it- it- it's JT. I think JT's the best quarterback for the system now. If you're Georgia, you know, and I don't know where JT's at. You know, I know he's gone down a knee size, a knee brace size. I know that he's scrimmaged. He's going, he's getting reps. You know, but if you're Georgia, do you, do you need JT Daniels, uh, you know, to beat Arkansas? You know, I, I I don't know. I think you do want him to get some reps, though. I'd be really surprised mm-hmm. if it wasn't JT. And, and here's the thing about Dwan. I mean, okay, so DeJuan's 6'6", 215. He ran a 10-800 in high school. He's an incredible athlete. He throws the ball 75-80 yards. Big arm. If Todd Munkin, and I've talked to Dewan's dad about this, if Todd Munkin were recruiting, you know, Dewan Mathis is not a guy that he would pick to fit his system anymore than Justin Fields would be, right? Justin went to Ohio State, and they built an offense around him. You know, this offense that Georgia has is, is not built around Dewan Mathis' strengths, but he's a redshirt freshman, and if Dewan Mathis can get this offense down, he's going to be a first round draft pick. You know, I mean, we, we know he can run around and, and throw the ball deep, but, but if Dewan gets the nuances of this offense, this air raid offense, this is an NFL offense, guys. Pre-snap reads, intermediate throws. And, and if Dewan has the patience, you know, to learn this offense, he's going to be a first-round pick. Now, he can do some things right now, but he can't fly the jet like, like uh, JT Daniels. I, I kind of look at pro-style offense like flying a jet. There's a lot of controls in the cockpit. There's a lot to it. There's a lot you've got to get familiar with. you got to know where all the gauges and levers are at. It's not, it's not like flying a helicopter or a single-engine plane. It takes a lot. JT, JT Daniels has flown the jet. He had a full year at USC. Granted, it wasn't the smoothest flight, but, but then he had some Graham Harrell. You know, even after he tore his ACL, he's still getting mental reps. So he has two years of offense behind him. Dwan was kind of a scout team guy once he did get back from the brain surgery. so And he didn't have spring. So even though he's a redshirt freshman, this isn't a guy that's had a full year of development. Uh, Carson Beck, another incredibly talented guy, you got to mention him in the same breath. Florida Mister mm-hmm. Football turned down the Gators for, for uh, Georgia. Stuck it out even after they added uh, Jamie Newman and JT Daniels. Beck stuck around. Um, he's a talented guy that that you know has both the the acumen and the skills. So, you know, I, I think Georgia's got a really good quarterback room, but there's not a lot of experience behind JT.
2: I really like that that jet comparison to playing quarterback because I honestly don't understand how to do either. So that really that made sense to me. That was good. Um, so looking at another position here, um, moving on over to the receiver. Obviously, when you look at George Pickens as one of the best receivers, not just in the SEC, probably the country, who is going to be the second guy? Who's going to be not, not necessarily a check down guy, but are we going to see an, a veteran like Demetrius Robertson step up or a freshman like the tight end uh, Darnell Washington kind of take the reins on that?
0: Yeah, well, let's start with tight end, because I think Trey McKitty's a guy that's getting overlooked. And, and, you know, he hasn't done a lot at Florida State, but he may be this year's Lawrence Cager. And this is what I mean by hmm. that. Lawrence Cager hadn't really done a lot at Miami, but but largely because Miami's quarterback situation had been kind of unsettled and inadequate. I would say the same is true of Florida State. And, and now that Trey McKitty, you know, that 6'5", 245 guy with some real speed, the players tell me, you know, could he be could he be George's version of Pitts? I mean, I don't know. I think Pitts hit is the best tight end in the league, but I think Trey McKitty's an NFL tight end, and, and I think he's going to be an upgrade from, you know, Charlie Warner and, and uh, Eli Wolfe. Both of those guys were more than adequate last year, but, you know, Warner drafted by the, you know, 49ers and Eli free agent with the Ravens right now, but I think Trey McKitty's an upgrade. I, I think he's going to be a weapon. You mentioned Washington. What a, what a freakish uh, talent he is wearing the number zero out of Nevada, and this kid. Um, you know, boy, he's a talent. I just don't know how quick. You know, tight end is probably next to quarterback, probably the toughest position on the team to play because you've got to have so much flexibility as a blocker, receiver, route runner. So uh, Washington's talented. I, I think we'll see him shine in spots. He brought up D-Rob. And, you know, Demetrius Robertson's an interesting case. He was a five-star coming out of Savannah Christian there, went to Cal, freshman All-American, seven, seven hundred yards, seven touchdowns transferred back after a sophomore year where he got injured early and really wasn't 100%. Then the next year, uh, you know, he's in competition and he, he pulls a hamstring and he has trouble with press coverage because they play you different in the SEC than they do in the PAC or really any other league in the country. So many talented corners. So, so D-Rob had to get a little bit more physical, and he had to learn how to deal with press coverage. And we're going to see where he's at. And if that hamstring stays healthy, because last year I thought it really robbed him of that world class speed, so so he could be the guy. He's the second leading returning receiver behind George. Uh, you know, another guy, Matt Landers is a guy. Boy, you talk about looking like a million bucks in a football uniform. You know, but put him out there on Saturday, he turns into the Warner Brothers, you know, singing frog. Right? You're like, wait a minute, where's this guy go? He was doing all this stuff in practice. He's dropping everything in the game. Okay, well, some people say that now that there's only 20,000 in the stands, maybe he'll do better, right? But but seriously, mm-hmm. Matt is a, a very talented, big, fast, strong, had a touchdown catch against Baylor. If this guy puts it together, guys, you're laughing, but he, he's a third or a fourth-round NFL pick. I mean, he's big time. His size is impressive. And then the incoming freshman, Jermaine Burton is a guy that's drawn rave, rave reviews. Um, you know, he, he kind of hit a wall a little bit in camp. Uh, but but I like him. I think he's going to do some things. And uh, and so there's, Tommy Bush is a former Under Armour All American. You know, coming off of a groin last year, never really got healthy. This year he's healthy. He's a six five target. So so they got some big, tall, uh, and some speed receivers. And they need two or three of those guys to step up.
2: Mike, just to be clear, I wasn't laughing at all about the the projection. It was strictly the Warner Bro- Brothers fo- uh, frog <laughs> reference. That was Ditto. deep cut. That's good. That's the good stuff right yeah. there. Um, all right, so another another position uh, that probably is a little bit less stable, I think, with uh, so much turnover they had from last season, the offensive line. You lose two first-rounders, um, and you lose Sam Pittman. Obviously, you're going to be head coach at Arkansas. How has the offensive line looked early in camp?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Don't forget, you lost the Swiss Army Knife, Kate Mays, too. Guy started all <laughs> five offensive line positions last year, right? So, you know, Cade's up there at Tennessee, hoping to get his uh, eligibility. I mean, that's something you want to make sure you point a finger at. You, you look at who's yeah. coming back, and really, the only returning starter is Trey Hill. He's a third-year, um, you know, junior center, preseason All SEC. Got pushed around by Jalen Carter the other day, by the way, yeah. true freshman. We'll talk about that a little later. But but Trey Hill is is solid as a rock in there. You feel really good about him. Uh, Big Ben Cleveland, Big Ben now, you know, the mountain man with that beard and, you know, 335, 340 pounds, he was the starter you know, before he suffered a broken leg at Missouri a couple of years ago, bothered by a foot injury last year, seems to be back in the mix. So he's, he's a salty veteran, even though we don't really consider we don't count him as a returning starter. He's a guy that's got some starts under his belt and been around a, a minute or two. Justin Shaper is the left guard, and, and Justin, he played really well once Solomon Kinley went down. You probably didn't even notice it because he did such a good job. After Solomon got hurt against Notre Dame, uh, but but then he sprained his neck. He was in a neck brace the rest of the year, and you know, kind of went away. Well, he's back now. He's a senior. He's three thirty. So you know, you you got some salty older guys in that interior offensive line. So now we go to the tackle positions, and that's where the big questions are. Uh, Jamari Sellier was a top ten recruit in the twenty eighteen class, like top ten overall. And, and now he's just now starting to get his feet wet as a tackle. We, we really looked at him more as a guard, but he's been training a lot with Andrew Thomas. They went to the same high school. They're close friends. A lot of optimism that Jamari Salyer can get the job done at left tackle. And the real question mark is right tackle. You know, we got two or three guys that we're really not sure about, right? Warren, uh, Warren McClendon is one. You know, guys, you, you, I'm going to mention names. You know, who are these guys? Right? Owen Condon, Warren McClendon, Tate Ratledge. You don't know who any of them are. But, but they're, they're you know they're they're three or four or five. They're, they're all big. They're all six four, six five, over 300. And, and then, the, then the real secret here is Matt Luke. Now, look, Sam Pittman, you're not going to find a more popular guy in the SEC than Sam Pittman. He's universally liked, universally respected, proven product. I'm going to say you're not going to find a more underappreciated guy, though, than Matt Luke. When you take a look at Matt Luke's resume, and you think about it now, Matt was a walk-on player at Ole Miss, played the same year as Kirby did. So those guys are fast friends, right? They actually played against each other a couple times. But Matt he has been under the tutelage of David Cutcliffe, uh, worked under Hugh Freeze. Uh, you know, he was the head, had some Rich Rodriguez around. Matt's been around Philip Fulmer. Matt's been around the block a few times now. Matt's going to be a head coach again, guys. And Matt's a good line coach, and he's in his prime. He's only 44 years old. He's come in, and I thought he electrified that line for the Sugar Bowl. I mean, that Baylor mm-hmm. defense had over 40 sacks, and, and and Georgia was, you know, kicking them around the Sugar Bowl, and Baylor's playing to be, like, the greatest Baylor team ever. But, unfortunately, I think Matt Rule was on the phone with the Panthers instead of watching film with George Pickens in the first You know, Pickens had, like, 11 catches in the first half. Somebody said, Matt Luke, where'd this guy come from? Yeah, that happened when you were in Charlotte interviewing a coach. But seriously, that offensive line got it done against Baylor with Matt Luke. And, and I, I think obviously there'll be some drop off when you lose two first round offensive tackles, but maybe not as much as you think.
1: An offensive lineman who you brought up before at the beginning of that, Cade Mays, the Swiss Army knife. You've been pretty adamant that this whole situation with him and his eligibility was complicated in part because of the family's lawsuit against Georgia and that the interconference transfers aren't as simple as what we probably realize. What are your thoughts on just how all of this has gone down? And beware, we've got Tennessee fans listening to this who are chomping at the Oh, dead.
0: no, listen, I, I love Tennessee, man. I, shoot, I spent 14 years of my career there. I, I, I've seen Tennessee at their best, whether Bruce Pearl beat or Phillip Fulmer or Butch had him in the top 10, uh, Rick Barnes, you know, what is he, 7-5 and five against Kentucky? Tennessee fans are rolling right now, right? No, it, it, you know, here's the deal. It it, 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 The most complicated thing is the fact that it's an interconference transfer. And, you know, even Otis Reese. I mean, you, know, you say, well, who's Otis Reese? Well, he's a Georgia former top 100 recruit that tried to transfer to Ole Miss, and he doesn't have his eligibility yet either. And neither does, last I checked, Joey Gatewood, right, Auburn to Kentucky. Right, he yep. doesn't have eligibility. So, so this isn't a, oh, boy, they just hate Tennessee thing. This is, you know, if you transfer in the league, they want you to sit a year because these schools spend a lot of money – and invest a lot of time recruiting against each other. And they don't want to be stealing from each other. And it sets a bad precedent. You know, the, the difference in people, well, J.T. Daniels, go, well, J.T. Daniels got injured in the second quarter of the first game. He missed pretty much the whole season. Kate played in every game and played in every line position. So then the question becomes, you know, does he have a hardship case? And, you know, guys, you know, we poked a little fun about the lawsuit and the finger getting caught in the lawn chair and half the pinky coming off. Nice choice off words there,
1: poke. I like that.
0: Well, $3 million lawsuit. But that lawsuit wasn't filed until two, games, two days before the SEC title game in December. So Cade, really, mm-hmm. since that lawsuit was filed from December to when he left January 9th, and I don't know, but was he harassed that month? He started in the Sugar Bowl and played left tackle. So it didn't look like it affected his playing status. We interviewed him in New Orleans, and he certainly didn't say anything about, you know, any sort of clubhouse problems. In fact, we interviewed him just about every week last year. There's a series – he seemed pretty happy. Um, But, listen, I understand why Cade wants to be back there. He's got Cooper there. You know, Cade bleeds orange. I was there when he was a commitment. He was the ringleader of what was once the number one ranked recruiting class in the SEC at the start of the 2017 season, you know, before, you know, the – you know what hit the fan – I mean, Cade was, Cade was the, the cornerstone recruit. When Cade decommitted, that was when, and, and I was told by a pretty major booster, that's when John Curry said, we've got to pull the plug. Can't let Butch finish the season. You just lost Cade Mays. The class is going to hell. And, and so he was going to get fired after the next loss. Well, what did they do? Hung on and beat Southern Miss, and some pathetic homecoming game. And he was fired before the plane landed after the Missouri loss with two games left in the season. They're 4-6. Why don't you just let him finish it out? Because your recruiting class is falling apart. So the Cade Mays decommit was, was the final nail in the coffin. I mean, it was inevitable. But, I mean, Butch Jones, was his coaching career at Tennessee was terminally ill by that point. After the Kentucky, Once they lost the Kentucky game, they were done. But, but, so just to give you some backstory on Cade. So Cade's a vol, His dad's a Vol, His brother's a vol. I It makes sense. Cade came to Georgia. He did a great job. You know, the Georgia fans welcomed him. They loved the guy. Uh, you know, nobody's got any hard feelings towards Cade at all. Uh, this isn't Georgia holding him up. Now, I've heard some Tennessee fans say Kirby should write a letter. Write. Now, wait a minute. You, what do you want Kirby to like crawl to Birmingham on his hands and knees and beg him to make Cade? Make, they play Tennessee. Hello. You know, he's he's not gonna you know uh, you know do anything to hurt Cade. But you can't expect Kirby to endorse a player going to a rival school and have an immediate eligibility. That's just that's not how it works. Besides, Tennessee had D'Angelo Gibbs; they're not even using them, right? Not even playing football anymore.
2: That's a good point. Um, you know, this this entire roster—it's just incredible to look at. It's just loaded, loaded with talent and five stars that you know, as you mentioned earlier, like, like we've even forgot about from two years ago, maybe. Um, going through this roster, especially on defense, give me one guy that one freshman and maybe one. Sophomore redshirt freshman that is really standing out. You think will be like a household name by the end of the season?
0: I can give. Let me give you four or five. This, <laughs> this is. There uh, we go. This is this is the deepest defense I've covered as a beat writer in twenty twenty eight years in the SEC. You know, it, it's rivaling ninety eight wow. Tennessee, man. I mean, ninety eight Tennessee. I can still you know give you their lineup. I mean, those guys were so special. Now I don't mm-hmm. know that this team has an Al Wilson, right? you got to have an Al Wilson in the Any great defense, even 2017 Georgia had Roquan Smith. you got to have that dude. you got to have that guy when he speaks, everybody listens. And and let me tell you, Al Wilson, to this day, I've, I've never been around another player like Al. Uh, maybe Max Bullitt, Michigan State, was somewhat similar there, Mike Linebacker. You know, Monty Rice, needs to be that guy for Georgia. You know, he's their Mike linebacker. He's a third-year starter out of Huntsville. He's a tough guy. But but I think Richard LeCount, more the Mayor, you know, LeCount is such a special guy at safety, such a playmaker, let me tell you. This guy was involved in six turnovers the last six games of last year, and Richie can fly, man. He, he's His instincts, uh, his assignability, I mean, this is Kirby's Frankenstein. This was Kirby's pet project. He's the first guy. He's harder on the count than anybody um, you know, he's the guy he set up in that race with Matthew Bowling. And if you haven't seen that video, you've got to see how Kirby set him up That's last incredible. year. But Lacan Le- Le- is a special guy. Then you got your corners. You've got three NFL corners for two spots, okay? DJ Daniel, Tyson Campbell, and Eric Stokes are all going to be playing in the NFL. And there's only two spots for him. Uh, Louis Cain is the freshman safety that plays next to Richard. He replaces J.R. And We were kind of wondering, how's he going to do? He had six tackles against Baylor. Uh, the guy's really good. He's the reason Otis Reese transferred to uh, Old Miss. So, so your secondary is, is pretty tight. You know, I didn't mention Tyreek defreak Stevenson. He's a South Florida kid. That's just, it's just an animal. Once he gets assignment sound, you know, he's an NFL player as well. I mean, they just they lost Keeley Ringo. They lost the the top corner prospect in the country uh, to a torn labrum. So that hurt him a little bit. But, but, but they're good. They're deep. They've got experience. You know, the linebacking core I mentioned, Monty. The guy that's going to make a big jump, the guy that could end up being that that Al Wilson Roquan Smith figure is a guy named Nicobe Dean. He's a former Mm five-star, I believe, Horn Lake, Mississippi. And uh, Nicobe had played with a high ankle sprain through the first half of last year, but he was still out there on third downs, and I don't know how much stock you put in PFF, but you know, pro football focus grades, but he had the highest pass uh, pass defense rate among freshman linebackers in the country. I mean, they are getting kind of specific there, but anyway, the guy's good. He, he just, he's just, he's really good. He's really fast. He's very instinctual. So you got some really, you got good inside linebackers there. Uh, outside, you know, the, 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 the edge rush though, this is where it's just, it's just stupid how good they are. You know, Aziz Ajilari had like 38 quarterback pressures last year. I mean, he was one of seven semifinalists for freshmen. The first-ever freshman captain under Kirby was a redshirt freshman. Uh, he had a knee that first year. But Aziz was the starter. Your backup was the number one overall recruit in the 2019 signing class, Nolan Smith. He's only going to get better. The, the, the guy after him was the number one JUCO recruit in the country, Jermaine Johnson. Uh, so you're th- you're three. Now we got Adam Anderson. He was a top-20 recruit in the 2018 class. He's your four-string edge. So, so when we talk about talented edge, it's it's an embarrassment. But but the question had always been with Georgia: Well, when are they going to have that line, like Clemson, Alabama? You know, the Mac Daddies that are throwing bodies around and eat people alive between the between the you know the hashes. Well, it's finally here, okay? Because Jordan Davis, you guys know what is he six seven three forty five junior Massive. out of Charlotte, North Carolina, just a, just a beast, athletic beast. Uh, Devontae White, a lot of people say, well, who's he? Uh, well, he had 27 quarterback pressures as a tackle, and, and Georgia plays a lot of uh, lane rush integrity. They don't just free these guys up to spin and do whatever you want. they got to rush a certain gap and penetrate a certain way uh, to maintain the integrity of those rush lanes.
1: Mike, something that I'm sure you've been asked about a lot in the last few days here, can you explain the Justin Fields Georgia scrimmage situation that sort of hit the masses and why it was so weird that he was there while other people weren't there?
0: Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I, I you know, I was curious, you know, I, I heard the rumor and I thought, Oh, you know, this is, this is, you know, this is like John Gruden in Knoxville. This isn't really happening, right? This is a rumor. <laughs> but, but apparently it, 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 then you find out, well, hey, holy cow, he really was there. And then you say to yourself, well, Kirby couldn't have known about that. And then you say to yourself, well, what if he did? You know, what, what happens if he sends Justin Fields away? You know, boy, you don't think that's a headline? So that's a tough situation. I mean, Justin's got friends that are still on the team. But at the same time, it was a close scrimmage. And, and certain families weren't even allowed in there. And boosters, more importantly. I mean, those guys that are building that $80 million football building were told they couldn't be in there. So this was this was supposed to be a highly restricted scrimmage to the point, like I said, where some of the walk-on families weren't even, only immediate family allowed in. Um, so, it, it's, listen, it, it, we get it. I mean, Justin Fields, sure, he's friends with a lot of guys. sister plays softball here. Guess sister's great softball player here. And, and um, you know, he, obviously Justin, you know, he said when he was at Ohio State, he didn't hold any grudge. You know what I kind of compared it to? I kind of compared it to, you know, bumping into your in-laws at, at, at Christmas after a divorce or something. It's not the same, mm. you know. You, the greeting's not going to be the same. You know, things have changed now, right? I mean, in J- Justin Fields divorced Georgia. It was very public, you know, and there, there were a lot of circumstances around that that led to a lot of hurt feelings. And so, you know, you know, maybe Justin didn't realize it before, but needs to realize it that you know it's, you know, things aren't going to be the same now. You know, in, he played for Georgia and he was a great player in state, and you know, it didn't work out, but. You know, a lot of things happened after he left for Ohio State. You know, a lot of claims were made to get him that immediate eligibility. And, um, you know, so that that yeah. Awkward. That's the word for it. Awkward.
2: All right. We got two more questions. They're they're probably the most two important questions of this entire interview. And the first one, um, I'm just going to ask you to just play judge here. And I want you to rate this impression of Matt Luke. I'm pretty proud of it. I think it's great. Rate this impression of Matt Luke. Are you ready? I'm ready. You talking about Matt Luke, former head coach, Ole Miss football. <laughs> Thoughts and opinions. Pretty
1: good. <laughs> That's <laughs> all he knows how to say, though. That's, That's the only thing I know to say. <laughs> it's
2: just that line.
0: You know, it just, it just, uh, it, it just the, the dialect is great. I think it needs to be just a little bit, a little bit deeper, but I, on a scale of one to Ooh. ten, I'm going to give it a nine.
2: I appreciate Dang. that. God, just a, that's Solid. my entire goal for this year is to just have a conversation <laughs> with Matt Luke so he can look in the mirror and see this. Um all right, last question, actual actual uh serious question here. True or false? Kirby Smart will beat Alabama once this season and Georgia will play for the national championship.
0: Wow, that's a mouthful. You know, what is Nick right? 19 and 0? Uh man, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, geez, do we, do we even know who Alabama's quarterback is yet? The game's in Tuscaloosa. It's, uh, you know, I think Georgia had a better shot at winning that game when it was the opener. You know, you know think about this, guys. Nick's going to get to sit back and watch Sam Pittman, who knows Georgia personnel. He's going to get to see what Arkansas tries to do. Then he's going to get to watch Kevin Steele, who was almost hired as Tennessee's head coach. Pretty good D coordinator. Auburn's beat Alabama two out the last three years, right? Kevin Steele, pretty good coach. You're going to get to watch them scheme him up. Then you're going to get to watch Jeremy. And, and, and you know, Nick and Jeremy, their defensive brains are very similar. So you know, Sabin's going to get to, have, get to watch three games of this new Georgia offense before Georgia gets to Tuscaloosa. Uh, I'm going to say, though, that, that Georgia's going to win because of the returning players, because you haven't seen other people opt out. You know, Jamie Newman opted out, but let's face it, he he just kind of came and went. He didn't have much investment in Georgia. But these other cats that came back for their senior year, like Monty Rice and Richard LeCount and Malik Herring, part of the reason they came back is because they've got a legacy on the line. And the legacy is that that they can't beat Alabama. They can't get over the hump. Now, they've led or been tied 118 minutes and 57 seconds of the last 120 minutes of the two Alabama games. Wow. But they didn't finish that. They didn't finish, so you know they came back for this game, among others. So I think that gives Georgia an edge early, and who knows what'll happen? and You know, um you know it's it's a ten game season, right? And, like I said, I, I covered Tennessee in 2016. They were five and zero, beat Florida, beat Georgia, beat Virginia Tech, ranked in the top ten. You know, they go to A and M and have a bloodbath, a bloodbath with with John Chavis and A and M's defense and and, and they come out of there the walking wounded, and, and then Alabama knocks their head off. And Josh Dobbs studies for a, you know a aerodynamics exam, and they lose <laughs> to South Carolina And Jalen Hurts is hurt, and Alvin Kamara you know stubs his toe or whatever. You know, and, and all of a sudden a, a, a top ten team turns into a nine and four team, and in, in butches you know dead man walking. So things can and have changed quickly before. In this league, it's brutal. It's unforgiving. Georgia's got a front-loaded schedule. You know, will JT Daniels make it through the year? You know, who's going to be under center? Um, a lot of questions as far as the SEC title game so far. But I, I, I would pick Georgia to pull the upset right now on Alabama because of those defensive guys, because yep. it's been an incongruent yep. offseason, and as talented as that Alabama offense is, you know, how quickly can they get in sync, And and do they know who their quarterback is yet?
1: mike this has been really really good stuff so much great insights uh, as to what Georgia is going to look like this year you are on top of that beat like very very few people are really really appreciate you coming on. we're going to have to have you come on during the season maybe preview a little georgia alabama and talk about uh, what those quarterback situations look like i'm sure given the way that things have gone in the SEC, life will be very, very different come that time. But really appreciate it and hope to have you back on soon.
0: Thanks, Connor. Thanks, Chris. Really enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Talk soon, man. Tell
2: Coach Luke we said hey. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, that's good stuff, man. Take care.
1: Appreciate it, Mike, for coming on. I think he named about half the guys in my top 25 SEC defensive player rankings, which are out on SDS as a part of top 25 week. You should go, definitely go and check that out. Yep. Kidding, sort of. I didn't put 11 Georgia players uh, on that list, but you I tell know, you he what, makes man, a compelling case. It's
2: on, like all jokes aside, and I know that we're gonna get flack from this because as one of our most recent reviews said, we are Georgia homers, which is new to me. Um, that's this, interesting. This defense is, well, you sound like it after that comment they're going to lose and then making that top 25. Just I'm, you know what? I'm just going to say it, Connor. Um, but like I looking at this and going through like, you know, you did 25, I did 10 cuz I'm not an effort guy. It's hard not to make a case for like, I mean, you could make a case for six starters on that defense. Easily top 25, maybe top 10.
1: Yeah, I have three Georgia players in my top 10. So I'll run through my top 10, and then you run through yours. We'll kind of break down some of these discrepancies. Um, But fitting, number 10, starting off with Georgia linebacker Monty Rice. Number nine, I have Kyir Elam, the Florida cornerback. Number eight, Eric Stokes, the Georgia cornerback. Seven, Patrick Sertan, the Alabama corner. Six, KJ Britt, the Auburn linebacker. Five, Jacoby Stevens, the LSU safety. Four, Richard LeCount, the Georgia safety. Three, Dylan Moses, Alabama linebacker. Number two, Adam Spencer's going to like this. Nick Bolton, the Mizzou linebacker, and number one Derek Stingley Jr., the LSU corner. And if you have anybody other than Derek Stingley at number one, White, what do you?
2: Do? I'm gonna make a case what for somebody else.
1: Are you really? Yeah. I love it. Let's do um, it. Um,
2: okay. Well, first, first off, let me say the, the top twenty-five was great. There was it was great. I kind of want to go through Appreciate it that. just because it's really good, and I, I don't want to like break down every single player. But can, can I just? I'm gonna list them off. I don't care what you say. Far away. Uh, 25. E-Roll Thompson. 24. Tyree Gillespie from Mizzou, the safety. Uh, 23, Sean Davis, the safety from Florida. Not Marco Wilson. I was kind of surprised by that. Mm -hmm. Like it. Uh, 22, Kobe Whiteside, defense allowing from Mizzou. 21, Zachary Carter from Florida. Um, 20, Bobby Brown. Great name. Uh, Texas A&M, Big Cat Bryant at 19. Damani Richardson, the safety from A&M at 18. Let's see, let's see. 17 was, I'll let you know, J.C. Horn. I thought it was Muakuomo. How do you say it? Mukwamo. Mukwamo. dang it. Uh, He's got the
1: interception numbers. J.C. Horn doesn't have that, but actually better in coverage yeah. if you kind of break up, down some of that stuff. Yeah.
2: And we'll get into that in a second because it's an incredible stat you brought up. Malik Herring at 16, LeBrian Ray at 15. Why is this so crazy? And I didn't realize how deep the SEC is. Those are two guys that legitimately could lead this conference in sacks, could easily be high first-round draft picks next year. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And they're at 15 and 16. 14, Henry Tua-o-o-otu, and Close enough. Yeah. Uh, Boogie Watson at 13. Christian Barmore from Bama at 12. And at 11, Jordan Davis from Georgia. I thought it was a good list. I, I, I wanted to Should start that. the argument immediately when I saw it, but it was hard to. It was really good. Um, I appreciate So that, that being said, I have a little bit different of a top 10 um, than you do. So here's who I have as my top 10. 10. I have Kobe Whiteside at 10 from Mizzou.
1: Ooh, like that, like that. The so,
2: kid had seven sacks, seven tackles for loss. It's, it's the uh, most sacks returning, or most sacks for returning player in the conference this year. He and
1: Boogie Watson are tied in that category, which surprises a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, at nine, I have Henry uh from Tennessee, the linebacker. I, I think that kid, I based some of these off of, like, kind of their numbers last year, Their you know, their career. But him, it's a pure projection. I think that kid is going to be – I think he's going to be an alpha for the next three years there and be an All-American. He's so good.
1: I'm a big Hank fan.
2: Hank T, we call him. Yeah, no one does that, but yeah. Um, He's from Hawaii. I'm pretty sure they don't call him Hank. Um,
0: Hank.
2: Okay, number eight. Say it for me. Who is the cornerback from? South Carolina? Israel Israel
1: Mukwamu, Mukwamu, who I always make the joke, he stole Georgia's lunch money and bought the entire state of South Carolina Sloppy Joes.
2: I really thought you were gonna give me like a, a way to remember his name with that joke. No, no,
1: no. No. <laughs> um, he had three interceptions against Georgia, though, yeah. which was his big coming out party, of course. So
2: he had four all last season, um, and obviously three of those were in one game. So like when I was looking through this, I was like, maybe he he just had like, you know, a showed out in, in one big game and like when it mattered. Kid had, had great numbers all around. Uh, 59 tackles from a cornerback position as well. It's, I mean he's really good. Uh, number six, Patrick Sertan. This, it, his is really interest, interesting to me because I, I'm not – I've said this before. I'm not buying into him being a top five, top ten pick in the draft. But if you look at where they project in the draft, it's first round. Some have them late. Some have them early. And I've seen – I saw, I think, 24-7 sports. They did their top 30 players overall in the, in the mm-hmm. conference, and he was third.
1: He's – this is like – if you're talking about guys who really have a, a prime opportunity this year, this is it for him. Because I tend to think like last year made some really good strides. I was critical of him as a freshman, especially after CeeDee Lamb just torched him, absolutely torched him. But I I think that what he did last year and some of the ball skills that he does, he's got like that peanut he's got like that peanut Tillman punched down, the peanut punch, Mm -hmm. which is just very, very impressive to watch. He is always kind of Johnny on the spot. And he made some he made some of that five star hype look legitimate last year.
2: Yeah. So and one, I messed up because I had him at six, not seven. Um, but there was one specific sad about Patrick Sertan is that in his two years, uh, overall in his career, he's given up only 681 total yards passing, uh, or total yards receiving, in 986 coverage snaps. And I, I, like you said, I'm pretty sure almost all that came against CeeDee Lamb. <laughs> C.D. I just, Lamb I mean, 500, yeah. ridiculous. So uh, I have him at six. At seven, I'm going to go back one, Jamar Watson from Kentucky.
1: Again, um, the sacks, the tackles for loss. Exactly. It, it, he actually had a better... If you look at uh, Josh Allen's uh, year before he broke out, he's actually a little bit further along in that regard. Not saying he's gonna be Josh Allen 2.0, but some of the versatility and the edge rushing stuff. There's a a big reason why Kentucky's defense is highly regarded and he is a very important part of that. The
2: the six and a half sacks and the 11 and a half tackles for loss. That was what impressed me. And that that ranks second uh, for both categories for returning players coming uh, into 2020. 5 I have Jacoby Stevens the just do everything safety from Same. LSU god he filled up the stat sheet so well he did, um, he was like
1: Grant Elpit, like better. what we expected Grant Elpit to be like yeah. last year it, yeah. it did all those different things playing you know in the box and doing everything that you could want like he, he's a little bit of like he's not as talented I'm not saying he's this guy but like it's the Isaiah Simmons thing it's like you just call him a defensive player yeah. you throw him out there
2: and you just watch him go kids is a football player i mean he's he's, he's really player. good um yeah. so 4 I want everyone to listen up because I'm sure at some point this season you're going to say I'm a homer. I have Dylan Moses at four. Dylan?
1: I have Dylan Moses ranked higher than you do.
2: Yeah, I have him ranked behind Richard Dang. the Count. Um, there you go. Yeah, there you go. You love go. Richard the Count. So I have, I have Dylan Moses at four. You have to look at his 2018 numbers. It's 86 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. He's also a guy that fills up the stat sheet It does everything. And, and you just saw how badly he was missed by the defense badly. last year. Um, I think he's going to have a big, big season. Uh, especially when he came, he came back. Three Richard LeCount uh, did not realize. I said last year that Richard LeCount was going to be a breakout star and be an All-American or of the best safety in the SEC. And he wasn't. But now you look at these numbers, I, maybe I was right all along and no one told me. He had 61 tackles, four and a half tackles for loss, four interceptions, two forced fumbles, three pass breakups, three fumble recoveries. That kid did it all. The
1: problem is that two of those interceptions came in the sugar bowl. So, like what after uh, yeah. after a lot of that All-America stuff
2: and you know, all those wrong. awards okay, kind of yeah. come out. I'm glad you Okay. That's why that's why we have you. Uh and then I have one A and one B. And and here's the deal: Derek Singley is incredibly talented. He's a shutdown cornerback. He's the best quarterback in the country. All those things. Nick Bolton, I have them tied at number one. And I know LSU fans probably think I'm just hating on LSU because of the last episode we had about other returning starters. I'm not trying to do that. This is Strictly trying to say we are as a country, as a as a fan base in the SEC, as as whatever, we are overlooking Nick Bolton and it's a travesty. Yep. We did it last year with, with they had Kale Garrett, uh was it Cale Garrett? The uh Kale the Garrett Yot- went
1: I- down in the middle of the season, and then when Nick Bolton stepped in, and Nick Bolton had his moments early on in the yeah. West Virginia game where he had the multiple picks, but after Cale Garrett went down, like Mizzou's defense was not nearly as bad as people thought no. when like they finished 16th in the country last year. And if you look at the versatility, that's the big thing that stands out with Bolton. And I admittedly overlooked it yeah. way, way, way too long. And it wasn't until like some of the stuff starts coming out. I'm like, all right, I know he's a good player and stuff. And then you look back on some of his numbers and some of the plays so, that he makes. The hit that he made on Juwan Jennings is insane. One of the best Hits that you'll see, like, in that spot with a, with a receiver coming in off a sweep. And I just stole exactly what you were going to say, didn't I?
2: No, I wasn't going to bring that part up. But what I was okay. going to say was um, when you look at his numbers, and this is this is what did it for me. Because, listen, Derek Singley is a phenomenal talent. Like, he really is. And he has also, he has great numbers. And, and you can look at everything he did. And, and, like, I mean, what do you have? 21 combined pass breakups and, and interceptions as a true freshman um, was just shut down in every sense of the word. That being said, here's Nick Bolton's stat sheet. Led the SEC in tackles. feel like that says a lot right there. So had 107. It, yeah. Eight and a half tackles for loss. Uh, 12 games, too.
1: He did that in right, right
2: One sack. Two interceptions. Uh, let's see here. Seven pass breakups. Oh, and oh, yeah, one touchdown. This kid did everything for a defense that desperately needed it. And, like, the touchdown thing is what really stood out the most to me because that's a defense that, remember, Cale Garrett had two touchdowns uh or maybe it was even three i think early on in the beginning of the season because he was he was ranked ahead of several running backs in like the sec scoring stats mm-hmm. nick bolton is going to be a, a star i think uh at least in the nfl maybe not at mizzou because people overlook him but he's fantastic
1: the The versatility with him shows when you look at and some of the pro football focused stuff where it's like okay you see that he has twelve more run stops than the next closest returning SEC defender. Mm -hmm. He's the highest graded SEC linebacker in coverage. He and Micah Parsons were the only two Power Five linebackers who earned a ninety plus grade last year. Right, Micah Parsons, the guy who's going to be like a top ten pick in the NFL draft, was a former five star guy as well. And I I shouldn't say as well, but. Because th- that's the funny thing about Nick Bolton is like he's so typical Mizzou in such a variety of ways because it's this guy who didn't get the big-time Texas offers, and Mizzou comes in, and Mizzou's just like, you're going to become a star, and you're going to become this household name. And I, I wonder how that's going to look without Barry Odom. I do. Mm-hmm. But you retain so much of that defensive staff, and he should be in places where he, sh- he should actually succeed. And going through this list and realizing, well, crap, I have three Mizzou players in my top 25 – and this is a defense that finished 16th in the country last year. Yeah. I think I was way, way too low on them when I did my SEC defensive rankings, realizing like now they have an all SEC candidate legitimately at a first team all SEC candidate at each level. At every of level, yes. Yeah. yeah uh, Whiteside and Gillespie.
2: I, I think that's spot on. And, and you know, I, I didn't really disagree with, with most of the stuff you said. It's, it's just interesting. Like, I think we do get caught up in names, and like, it would be easy to, to fill out. You know, like that's one of the reasons I think Sertan is getting so much attention is because he plays at Bama and he's a he's a former five star. And he's good. He's very good. Yeah, a little bit. I don't think he I think he's maybe the third or fourth best corner at best in this conference. Yeah, he might not be top five.
1: Corner is deep in the SEC. It's really, really deep. And I bunched all of those guys close together. I gave him the benefit of the doubt. There are Florida fans who are probably really frustrated that I didn't put Kyir Elam even higher. You had him at nine. Now, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had him at nine, which there, then there are some people who outside of Florida would be like, well – Dude wasn't even a full-time starter. He only played, I think it was like 310 snaps last year or something like that. And because he didn't necessarily have to go against ones all the time because they had C.J. Henderson, of course, it's a little bit different than what someone like Patrick Sertan went through last year, where I know they have Trayvon Diggs as well. But I think that those guys are all really close together. I had Elam Stokes and Sertan all kind of bunched in that like seven, eight, nine would not be surprised if any of them became all Americans this year. And they're all in that tier that is right below Derek Stingley, in mm-hmm. my opinion, where Derek Stingley, like, I don't like, like put that guy against anyone. Yeah. Put it, put that guy against anyone. I realize, Bama fans, Devonte Smith had a big day. He had a really big day. Mm-hmm. Part of it was a little bit of like Derek Stingley looking to the sideline to get the call, whatever. Devonte Smith is my best offensive player in the sec. So that's, we're, we're talking yeah. strength on strength here. But corner in the SEC is very, very good. And that's that's the name of the game. And that's why I when I when I'm filling this out, and I don't know if you, you kind of felt this too as you looked at the top 10, of like why I find myself giving guys who can cover more of the benefit of the doubt. Because you have to be able to do that in 2020. We do our just meant more things, and we talk about like, oh, that big hard-hitting safety who yeah. just brings just brings the hammer down, you know, over the top, and you fear him. It's just different. There just aren't as many of those guys. And now it's like, hey, look, you've got to be able to cover in space because offenses are going to force you to do that. And there are a lot of guys who have already shown in the SEC that they can do that at an elite level.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, um, again, man, I, I was I was blown away, I mean, several times today with the Mike Griffith interview and also going through this, at just how talented this, and like, loaded this Georgia roster is. Rosters. And I know that y'all are going to get tired of hearing me say that, but it's just... It blows my mind every 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 which way you look at it. And, and like, and, you know, he touched on it a little bit too, but I've been saying this for a while. When you have, like, not just a five-star or, like, a high four-star or top 100 guy, it's like, here's the number one player at this position. from, th- And then it's like, here's the number one player from this state. Here's the number one, yeah. like, number one overall player in the country and the number one JUCO player in the country as, like, your second string. It's just – it's crazy. So, I think by the end of this season, guys like Malik Herring, i, I said this – um we had to do in the summer for SDS, we did a thing where if it wasn't Trevor Lawrence and it wasn't uh, Justin Fields and it was somebody that was going to be from the SEC this year as the number one overall pick, who would it be? And I said Malik Herring. I think he has the best mm. like potential to do that, partially because of his position, but also because of how gifted and how great he's been in limited in limited time, but still how truly, truly like special I think that kid can be, especially this year. Real quick before we we like I know there's gonna be all, like fans especially Florida probably that are upset about like not having as many players on this list. Um, I will say this the we also said we're gonna do the breakout players we have like a couple uh, what do you call it candidates for that. The one that pained me the most that I didn't have in the top ten and, and honestly I put Stingley Bolton and then I put this kid at seven through ten. I was like I'll just I'll put him in there somewhere because he's my my favorite player in the SEC, Jordan Davis.
1: Jordan Davis is a, a large individual.
2: There's large no stats individual. to back it up. There's, I mean, there's just, like, there's nothing. He is so good. Every time I turn on a Georgia game, he is all over the place. He's always in the backfield, always harassing the quarterback. I love that kid.
1: Jordan Davis and what he does and why some of like, there there are going to be people who are like going to throw some stats out at us. If you're wondering why someone like Jordan Davis isn't necessarily – filling up the stat sheet in the same sort of way that we're seeing. And Tyler Shelvin didn't really fill up the stat sheet either. Yeah. But these guys who are so important in the run game and what they do and the blocks that they take on where you just kind of realize, oh, there's a reason that George is able to do what it do do what it does. And these guys that get downhill at the second level and yep. why we're talking about so many of these linebackers is because Jordan Davis doesn't get beaten off the ball. Never. No. No. <laughs> Ever. And so that's that's kind of the key to make all of this thing go. And he frees up so many of his teammates And, you know, there's a reason, like, why Georgia led the country in run defense and why they didn't – you know, they allowed two rushing scores in the entire year. Like – this this is a group that is so dependent on those guys up front. And while they might not necessarily have the All-American numbers, and I think that like a Christian Barmore by season's end mm-hmm. is going to put up bigger numbers and something that's a little bit more gaudy because th- that's just what he's going to be in position to do. I think it's just going to be different. We're going to have to talk about these these a lot of these Georgia guys in a different way, and in part because they have so many. And they're going to be sharing some snaps, and I think yeah. the cumulative stuff won't look maybe as good.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean... Uh, that's that's a really good point I, I will say um just touching on one other guy that I feel like we deserve to be brought up that I left off KJ Britt I, he's really good he's really really good I just wonder how those how he's gonna look Cause like his his thing is how good he is against the run how good he yep. is coming downhill and without a guy like Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown in front of him I wonder how how he's gonna be this season um the breakout players who do you have so I
1: have as I settled on three, but you could easily go more. I just talked about Christian Barmore. He's everybody's breakout candidate just because the small sample size last year and what he was able to do once he became a starter. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason that they're not fretting the loss of Raekwon Davis yeah. it's because Christian Barmore is so good and because he, I, I think he's going to be maybe the most – similar player to Quinnen Williams of what we've seen the last five years at Alabama for what he can do not only rushing the passer, but being a true run stuffing guy. Like when you picture your like prototypical stud Alabama defensive mm-hmm. lineman, he is very much in that conversation. A guy that everybody just loves mm-hmm. as well and is kind of like that feel good guy that kind of just like needs like loosens everybody up in a different sort of way. They love him in that locker room. I cannot emphasize that enough. And I think he's gonna be a guy that absolutely takes off first team all sec this year would not surprise me and i think he's in the conversation for best defensive tackle in the conference especially after tyler shelvin is opting out by the way i had tyler shelvin at number seven just because some of the run stuffing numbers are really really Mm -hmm. good with him but i I think christian barmore is a guy that everybody's kind of pointing to as a breakout guy so it almost doesn't feel fair to list him in that category
2: yeah no I i agree with that i think uh Barmore is the guy that's kind of unheralded it a little bit at first and now is obviously getting like the recognition he deserves. Um I so it's kind of funny looking at this because I I had a couple of these guys listed as my breakout players last year and they yeah. got hurt. Um yeah. and so I I don't like I don't want to necessarily put them back in the same group and I know who you're
1: going with, I think.
2: It's LeBrian Ray. Yeah, it is. It's, it, a, is. it absolutely is. Yeah. I said this last year, like that kid, former five-star kid that's that's physically there, he just couldn't stay healthy last year. He had like a toe injury, uh, or a, was it a foot injury, um, that he suffered in like the South Carolina game. That yep. kid is so—I don't want to say he's like Terrell Lewis because he's talented. We see the flashes, but we don't see him on the field as much. But that kid is on a, a very good defensive line. I think with Bama, he's—he's the—he's the best prospect there. He—he's very, there, very good.
1: There's a clip I found of him in that South Carolina game, yeah. the same game that he got hurt. Where Sidarius Hutcherson is potential, you know, one of these all SEC potential guys, probably the best offensive lineman that South Carolina mm-hmm. has this year, and Lebron Ray just throws the dude like a rag doll. Yeah. I mean, this is a large human being that he just throws on the ground and makes this punishing hit that whatever draft film he has, that's going to be at the top of it. LeBron Ray was really, really coming on strong in the first part of last year, and and why it wasn't as simply as like, oh, Dylan Moses is out, this is why Alabama's not good. It's like, you know, they lost a guy like that as well, and they weren't able to replace him. So I I almost put him in this breakout category, but I I was like, well, we put him in here last year, and he already kind of showed what he was made yeah. of in a small sample size. But I think that's a good well, guy to have in there.
2: Yeah, and the, and the other one, um, I'm not going to get on the whole Bama kick, but uh, – I think the only reason that Barmore really got playing time is because of DJ Dale getting injured, yeah. the freshman. So that'll be interesting as well. Um, Owen, I'm sure I'm going to say this wrong, Popo. Popoe? Yeah. I, I don't really think he's even a breakout candidate because he's really good. I mean, he's just Four a five-star um, guy. Yeah, he's he's just a, a very, very good... Uh, he's going to be a sophomore now. but um, And the other two I have Aaron Sterling from South Carolina and Zach Pickens from South Carolina. And I almost put them, like again, like... A and B because yeah I mean Sterling's numbers last year were already really good six and a half sacks or maybe it was six sacks um, and it, he's one of the returning leaders in the conference like I think top five in sacks and tackles for losses uh, tackles for loss but him or Zach Pickens and why I say it's either or I mean it could be both but one of those guys is going to benefit off the other one tremendously this year and and I think that Pickens is a guy former five star that is going to I th- I think he's putting it together um, from everything we've heard like in camp. I think that Pickens is going to be special, but but Sterling already has the production. And I think with added help with a guy like him and even Jordan Birch, his numbers are only going to get better.
1: Yeah, South Carolina just lost its best defensive player since Jadavian Clowney, Javon Kinlaw. Yeah. And I think that defensive line should be better this year, Isn't which that is kind weird? of a crazy thought. That speaks to the depth that they, that they now have. And Will Muschamp deserves some credit for that in recruiting. A defensive lineman that I have as well as a breakout candidate, Zachary Carter. Guy that mm-hmm. Florida fans know about very well, came on pretty strong last year, seven tackles for loss, four and a half sacks. You just know that Todd is gonna find those guys. They're not having Jabari Zuniga or John Grenard getting all those, you know, all those big TFLs this year. I know they've been waiting for a while on Jeremiah Moon. They're very excited about Brenton Cox, the former Georgia Georgia transfer, the five star kid. But to me, I, I and Diabate as well. I know Cole Kubelik has him. I think he's his number one yeah. breakout candidate. But Zachary Carter is kind of the guy that I just look at and I'm like, it's already there. Yeah. It's already there. It's just it's it's just about opportunity and getting those snaps. I think he's going to take off. Would not surprise me if he was a a double digit TFL type it,
2: of guy. It feels like there's always a guy that ends up at the top or right near the top uh, of of the SEC. In sacks and tackles for loss and all that kind of stuff in a Grantham defense too. So always, always.
1: One other guy, um, brought him up before on this podcast. This is not breaking any sort of news, but Racy McMath, the LSU receiver.
2: Oh, I thought you were He defense he only.
1: very much is. Yeah. Okay. I guess we. I, I was including it to all breakout candidates. All right. You know what? I'm going to save that. <laughs> I'm going to save it. I'm just going to say I love Racy McMath. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you went on a limb there with the with the math thing. That was good. He's gonna play defense. He wants. <laughs> two way player, Charles Woodson. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that could be. Yeah, that could be your guy. I don't know. Sure. You sure, might have to play not? offensive line at this point. We don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, who knows? Um, are there any any freshmen any freshmen that that kind of stand out? I know the Kaylee Ringo injury was a bit of a bummer. Oh, uh, we talked about it with Michael. Low expectations for Jordan Birch. Are there, yeah. there there are other guys that you wanted to highlight?
2: I mean, freshman wise, I, there's going to be a bunch. I'm sure. Um, I tell you what, like defensively, this kid and, and why am I forgetting his name? To, um, the defensive line we just talked about him with Mike that went up against Trey Hill in that video. Um, unbelievable. J- That's okay. We Jalen Carter, I think. Um, I don't know how I'm how I'm. Uh, Drawing a blank here, but because we just talked about it, but this kid, true freshman, it it shocks me that he's the one getting like I've heard the most about him in fall camp out of any young player about like, at Georgia, and that's really really saying a lot because again when you talk about like some of those, all those five stars already have, I, N'Kobe Dean, I I don't even feel like it's going out on a limb to say that kid is going to be a, a really good player. He's, he'll be a sophomore, but um, I'll take your route also and say on an offensive standpoint instead of just go. a defensive player. Uh, the tight end, the tight end from AM and um, Baylor Cup. That kid, he was injured last year going into the season. They were already expecting big things out of him. We saw what Jay Stern Sternberger um, did two years ago and was the, uh, I think he had the second most receiving yards from a tight end in the country that season. Um, just an incredible year. And they kind of missed that last year. I think this kid, who is a former, very high, high-ranked recruit, um, He'll be back, and he, I think he's going to put up a lot of numbers in that offense. I mean, with with everything else they have around him as well, like he will he will find ways to get like Jimbo will find ways to get him open, and he'll be a huge, huge asset in that offense. Jalen Weidermeyer, tight end who broke out last year for
1: A&M, A guy that I had in my top 25 offensive mm-hmm. players, very very impactful guy who's kind of in that that group behind the the, the sand the, like the the pits comp like so there's at the top of the SEC. Everybody's going to kind of look at, at Pitts and say that he is clear, far and away, and number one tight end in the yeah. conference. And then uh, nationally speaking, I mean, there's the kid that's at Iowa State. I think his name is Kolar or something like that. And then there was Pat Fryermuth, He was at Penn State. But if you're looking for a guy who can make that that next jump, Widermeyer is somebody that they are very high on in College Station after a breakout freshman season, in which he kind of had one of those like overlooked years. I think he had a really good game against Bama, actually. I think he had two scores against Bama.
2: I don't remember that happening, Connor. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, well, let's go ahead. I pick the guy that is going to be in direct competition on the same team as your guy. Um, so no, I think I,
1: I think two tight end systems work. I think that there's a possibility that we could. We yeah, could
2: see in that. 1968, Connor yeah, or in Nebraska.
1: I like three fullbacks personally. That's the oh way I God. roll.
2: Somewhere, Les Miles just had a just a shudder go down his spine. <gasps> oh, less. Oh, less.
1: This has been very interesting to talk about all these different guys for Top 25 week because I remember talking about the star power in the SEC, and you, you talked me into it earlier on. I was like, nah, I don't know. It, it just kind of feels like we don't necessarily have some of these big-time names. But after coming up with this these these lists, yeah, it, it is absolutely there. There are a lot of really, really strong players who did not make the list. Yeah. Had, on the offensive list, only had two quarterbacks listed. I mean, that's, yeah, I didn't like that's that. kind of the way – I mean, that's kind of the way that it is in the SEC this I, year. It's very, very weird.
2: I will say that when I was looking through all this, I, I was—I've never been more eager to be proven wrong. And I know that we're going to get like you know, pushback from the audience or fans and stuff like that because I, I know we're overlooking people. I, I know it, and I know that like for sure, there's a really solid chance that like more than or half, or even more than half of the people I have in top ten or you have in top ten might not be there at the end of the season. I like to think that Stingley and Bolton will definitely be up there, but yeah. um, we, when you look at like. There's just, there really is a lot of talent. And there's there's guys that we haven't even touched on today that are going to have years, breakout years, and it's going to be awesome.
1: Breakout ones are a little bit tougher to project. I like to do this based on who I feel is confident stepping, who I feel confident in stepping on an SEC field tomorrow yeah. and being able to do their job well to the best of their ability. So this has been a lot of Top 25 talk. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty because we're three weeks away from having actual football. I'm getting choked up just talking about it. Not really, um, but I, I do think that we're going to get into a lot more stuff. For those who've been waiting on predictions and stuff, we've got the Crystal Ball series that is coming out on SDS beginning next week. It's going to start with Alabama on Monday. And we're going to go through all of that. We have so much great planned content on SDS. If you are looking for a college football website, if you just listen to the podcast and you're like, oh, I don't really like read a whole lot about college football news, You should start following all of SDS on social media. You should definitely be doing that. We're not just a couple of idiots who host a podcast. We are part of a very, very talented content creation team. We just, that's all they do. That's all they do. We just crank out great stories. So go follow SDS on all forms of social media, at SDS, Saturday Down South on Instagram. We've got the at SEC football account on Twitter as well. Vern Funquist, what do we need to remember?
2: There's football this weekend. I'm gonna gamble so much? y'all amen. Thoughts and prayers guys. Talk soon.